Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, where it is a pleasant 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It was 72 today. This is beautiful for October 10th, 2022 in Wisconsin. So, yeah, thank you so much for this awesome weather. It's going to be 74 tomorrow. The doc is going to be out on his bike at least 40 miles, maybe more. I will post pictures. But thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, We have a tremendous guest in studio I will get to in just a moment. So, again, if you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so. And if you have not, um, well, let me see if we have the safety cam going on over here. We do do have have the safety cam. Thank you, Safety Cam, for being on. The Safety Cam is over here on the right. So thank you, Safety Cam. It's over there. Uh, But yes, uh, subscribe to the show. We are within a couple hundred hours of being monetized. 190 episodes in YouTube, MP3 leveled audio, and then also blog posts at safetyphd.com. Down in the corner over there, actually, you can find it. So You know, when I wrote the Velocity of Information, I had a chapter in here called Fitness and Fortitude, and it was about March and April of 2020, what we could do as a country to have a civilian campaign toward fitness and nutrition, right? Because we know those are axioms. The more fit you are, the more healthy you are, the less uh, likely you are to become uh, ill. And if you do become ill, you're more likely to um, come through that with fewer consequences, right? So I wrote about that. That should have been a campaign back in March and April. And today's guest, Megan Usui, is going to help us understand that. And actually, we're going to start, though, with how to understand the motivation behind fitness. How do we get motivated? How do we get motivated to work out? If you're here at Doc's house, you would have been motivated yesterday as I took about uh, 15,000 pounds of firewood into my basement. I would have motivated you to help me. Um, But yeah, how do you get motivated? What does motivation look like if you're a teenager versus somebody in their 40s or somebody who's elderly or somebody who's part of a family, right? So how does that work? So I've got Megan backstage, going to bring her in the show in just a moment. But I want to give a shout out here to uh, some people right away. Ron Wayne, Corey Slater, Misty, Mrs. Wayne, Solitude Surfer. And let's see who else is here. So, oh my goodness, Burt Reynolds, I don't believe you're really here. So, 
But yes, thank you so much. Um, and if you have questions for Megan, please introduce them. I'm going to adjust my camera just a little bit. This is the camera that is being replaced down here in the safety studio. But welcome to the show, Megan Asui. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for having me, David. <laughs> So I am I'm thankful uh, to have you on the show. Megan and I have been in uh, communication for a number of months, kind of, you know, working out the show, working out the questions. And one of the things, you know, Megan, when I wrote the velocity of information is I, I wrote about how in March and April of 2020, we really would have benefited from a national campaign on fitness. It didn't happen. And as I talk to people now, as I present, I, you know, I don't have the answer to what motivates people toward fitness. So uh, it, I know that you're going to talk about that today, and I'm very thankful for that. So first of all, thank you for being a guest on the Safety Doc Show. My pleasure. Great, great. So, and you are in the Seattle area. So what, it's like about one in the afternoon right there per the time zone change, right? It's probably one o'clock and sunny. Well, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's a little further in the afternoon. I'm done with my client load for the day. And we've had a lot of forest fires. Oh, uh, my goodness. Cascades. So we've all been stuck inside, not because of a pandemic, but because of horrible air quality. And it's been quite oppressive. And this has been going on for, I feel like, a month. Our okay. air quality has been awful. Wow. So I'm very jealous of you being able to go on <laughs> rides and being yeah. You know, the air quality around here is typically pretty good. We we don't have much as far as like forest fires and things like that. Every once in a while, the coal fire power plant, you know, will pump out a little more exhaust. And I got to deal with that when I'm biking. But generally, pretty good stuff. Um, so today's show is fitness in chaotic times. What really motivates us? And we have fitness professional Megan Isui on the show. And Megan, I'm going to read your bio. So for those of you, again, watching the show, many of you know this, but for those of you unfamiliar, I have three monitors in front of me. The left are the show notes. The front monitor is the monitoring the show notes. The right is monitoring the stream. So if you're watching, Doc, look around. Am I trying to follow a ghost down here? Possibly, because we know that the North Star Recording Studio is haunted. We know that people have submitted and say, look, you know, the 18 minute mark and seven seconds and back you, there's clearly a ghost. I get it. They're friendly. Nothing to worry about. I know it's October, um, but yes. So I'm going to look over on my left side here for uh, the bio biography. And here we go. Megan Asui has over two decades of experience as a fitness and wellness professional. She has worked as a fitness director, personal trainer, weight loss coach, gym designer, and group fitness instructor at health clubs, weight loss, and biofeedback centers in California, New York, Virginia, and Washington State, including the Washington Athletic Club in downtown Seattle. She is the owner and operator of the David Workout in Snohomish. I think I have that pretty Very closely. Good. And David Workout, right, David? I did a workout here of... 25,000 pounds of firewood in my basement just over the last few days. Um, she's an expert in personal and relationship coaching. Practicing what she preaches, Megan has lost and kept off 60 pounds for more than 25 years while raising two fit and active boys. 
the graduate of Sweetbriar College with a degree in philosophy. Megan is fascinated by history and human culture. Again, Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking about what motivates people. It's one of my favorite topics. Uh, great. This is, uh, yeah, this is an interesting question because um, when I present, for example, on um, the velocity of information and I, and I talk to people about the chapter fitness and fortitude, I felt that in March or April of 2020, uh, when we were seeing uh, misty-eyed celebrities come on TV and say, here's how to sanitize your phone. You know, you mix up a little bleach and whatever, and but don't do too much. And I'm like, okay, like I get it, right? But there's much more to it than that. It's an overall wellness campaign and health and fitness. And looking back through history, in 1942, the Committee for National Morale uh, very much helping a civilian population handle how to em embrace and enter into war. Um, kind of, you know, we missed an opportunity. We'll get to that in a little bit of that. We could have had this national campaign in March and April of 2020 to help people become more fit, right? And to become more resilient, to be able to resist the virus, and if they did have the virus, right, that they would be in better health, and they would possibly have a positive outcome from that. So before we get into it, so tell us more about yourself. So you read my bio, and and pro to, to fill in any of those gaps, um, I was a person who was not super athletic growing up. I was really into dance, but I was not an athlete by any means, and Towards the end of high school, I started gaining weight and I didn't know where, where that was coming from. Um, I realized late in college that I was a carbitarian, that I was just overeating pasta and muffins and cereal, thinking that's a food group in and of itself. Uh, I started reading some Atkins uh, books that focused more on eating protein, which was admittedly not my favorite food group. At that time, um, there weren't, we didn't have really the internet. This was, this was quite a while ago. And so you're just looking for resources in the bookstores and trial and error. You didn't have all, the, all of the quick tips and short videos that, that people have today. So it took me quite a while to, to figure out how to modify calorie intake and to drink more water and all these things that are so obvious to people today, but this was in the, the late 90s. And at that time I, I had finished school, but I still hadn't figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up. I had been teaching group fitness. I could teach swimming uh, while I was working on, on my weight issues. And then I thought, well, what, what if I learned how to be a personal trainer? which was kind of a joke at the time because I was still a little soft, but I did it anyway. And I worked for 24 Hour Fitness and very quickly uh, became not only a trainer, but I started managing trainers. So my skill set in, in people um, was an asset for me, but I was so fascinated in, with how do you put together a program for, for different people with different backgrounds. And I could relate to people because I wasn't an athlete. Most of my colleagues were high school athletes and they, they actually had a disadvantage because they get frustrated with clients 
quite quickly of why, you know, why can't you just do this? Whereas I could, right. I could right. understand where they're coming from and where the malaise would come from and not being able to achieve that, that intensity that's just seems so normal for, for fit people. So I just stayed in the, in the fitness industry. I, uh, because it was the, the easiest way for me to make money. Cause I was, I was good at it, whether it was a, uh, personal training manager or teaching group fitness or always wearing different hats or selling memberships uh, it was always easy for me to talk to people. And my first question, I think for the last 20 years is, okay, how can I help you? Just yes. starting with that, not making any, any assumptions about why the person had come in the door to let them speak and explain what they as a consumer were looking for. And it's interesting because the the answers to that are 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 different. There are themes for certain, but if you if you went with a um just a cookie cutter approach to okay, we're gonna get you started and we're gonna we're gonna yes. take your scale weight and you're gonna we're gonna do a VO2 max and you're gonna show me what your run one rep max is, most people would run screaming out of the building as if there were a fire. So okay. Rapport is really important because when you ask about fitness and what motivates people to get more fit, we have to define what fit is. Yes. So what is fit? Sure. So there, there is as a scientist, we could look at somebody's VO2 max or their their strength of how many push-ups they could do. Obviously, the military has criteria for that of what is fit, how fast you can run a mile. But most people aren't thinking in those terms. So if we run, if we go backwards, I know we like to start with younger people and, and go up to older people, but if we sure. start with older people, uh, boomers now, boomers, when they, when they tell me about why they're sitting in front of me and why they want to get more fit, they want to do basic things like, I want to be able to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids. Okay. Very super simple things that we take advantage of. I right. want to be able to walk up the driveway and not be embarrassed about how much I'm huffing and puffing. I want to, I want to be able to wear pants that have been sitting in my closet <laughs> for 10 years. And a lot of times fitness bleeds into physique that okay. people, uh, think about being fit is looking a certain way. Yes. Yes. And we'll talk about that more as we kind of go down in, in, in the generations, but typically for boomers, they just want to preserve the muscle mass they have. They're dealing with osteoporosis and they're scared. Yeah. So yeah. Have you, have you ever studied any neuro neurolinguistic programming? I have not. Okay, no. that's that's a fascinating uh, rabbit hole. I won't go into that. But one of the basic tenets of neurolinguistic programming of figuring out so how, how someone's mind works is most people are either a towards a goal or away from a consequence. Okay. And that's a paradigm of how they look at the world. Are they more carrot driven or are they running away from the stick? So that's one of the things that I listen for in somebody's language. Uh, uh, they may say, well, my doctor says that if I don't start start a program, I'm going to be a candidate for, uh, for a heart attack. Okay. okay. So that's somebody who is afraid of a consequence. 
and we'll use that kind of language to help motivate them to do something they know they should do, but they don't naturally want to do. So I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, but if we look at our generation, David, yours and mine, Gen, uh, Gen X, Gen X wants to stay active. We want to be able to hike and maybe keep up with our kids who may be approaching their 20s or their, their mid-20s. We often want to look better. So we'll have a mix of things. We want to feel stronger. Uh, we want to either become more fit or stay fit. And we want to look better. We want to, we're, we're getting ready for, oh my gosh, our, our 20 or 25 year reunion. And we're sure that's what that's going to be like. Um, our daughter's going to getting married and we're scared to death of what the pictures are going to look like. So with, with Gen X, there's a whole host of what may motivate us as far as carrots and sticks. And are you, I don't know if you identify with any of that. Because I know, David, you, I listened to a great podcast you were on, on the Sustainable Living podcast. Yes. And you yeah. talked about your story and you were very transparent with the realizations that you were having and what motivated you to get started on a program. Yeah. And that was, that was a, um, you know, one of the most, I guess, authentic interviews that I've given and probably most uh, vulnerable, vulnerable interviews that I gave. And, and so just, you know, to, to recap that. So I was on um, with uh, Marianne West on the Sustainable Living uh, podcast, her, her podcast, about maybe three, four years ago. And at that time, I talked about how I was in a very um, high profile, high pay, high stress, high burnout job. And I took a vacation with my family, you know, and at the same time, I was tethered to my phone. Like I was getting, um, you know, every 30 minutes, somebody was was contacting me and saying, you have to make this decision, right? You have to make this high stakes decision. And I'm like, I'm just trying to enjoy vacation, right? I, and I, I was realizing that, um, you know, I was having to tell my wife and my my two daughters, you know, go in and enjoy the restaurant that has the train that delivers your food to your table, which would be cool, right? And but I have to stay in the car because I have to deal with this issue because um, the way that the structure was, right, everything was filtering up or funneling up to me or funneling down to me. But um, and and it got to be a point where I just I just said this is enough and I left it, which was really bizarre in some aspects to leave a very high paying, high profile job and just be gone from it. And I'll tell you though, Megan, it was the best decision I ever made. I, I completely, um, looking back, I'm like it was the best decision I made in my life for my health, for my fitness. I was also, um, personally, I was 240 pounds when I was in that job. My, um, my uh, liver and like kidney function, you know, through the, through the, you know, your, your doctor would take, you know, the blood draw and say whatever. And, and, and she was just saying, these look bad, right? This doesn't look good for you. And I'd be like, I'm just under a lot of stress. I'm not sleeping. I'm doing all these things. And um, initially it feels weird though. It felt like a loss. It felt like I was taking a big career L after being on public television in 2013 
and you know just just kind of leaving at the top it was very hard for people close to me to figure out and some people kind of distanced themselves from me if like so were you going through an identity shift um you know maybe with with age right and my kids were younger and I, one of the things megan so thank you for asking that we were having a garage sale. So every year we have a garage sale. And I remember helping my wife set up for that. And I would look at toys that she was putting out for sale. And she's like, you know, our daughters don't play with this anymore. And be like, I don't remember them ever, ever playing with this. Like I felt it was really weird because I felt like I had missed time, right? That I had skipped over time in their lives. And it was very hard for me to reconcile that. And I was also, it was, it was weird because it was at a time in life where I could just make things happen because of who I was, right? I was on public television. I was, I had this PBS special that was broadcast across the country. Everything was flowing toward me. But when I watched the 2013 pre presentation on PBS, I was 240 pounds. You can see it in my face. I do not look healthy. I was not healthy. I was not happy, right? But, um, but the producers weren't thinking that. No, and the show did phenomenal, right? They brought me back in 2019, and I'll be back in 2025. You know, the show itself was a huge success. Right. And so you were you were a success, but your criteria changed. It it did. Or shifted it, maybe. It it did well, and part of that was you know sitting down with my physician, and she said uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting, Megan, because the physician physician I had prior to that was like, oh, you just need prednisone. <laughs> I'll subscribe you. You know, I, I will give you a subscription or prescription of prednisone and you'll be fine. And that wasn't the case, right? Like, but everything was prednisone. Um, and she said, you know, you're not in a good path here. Like, I've seen people your age who have had heart attacks or strokes or ischemic attacks, right? That is like a mini stroke. And she said, you're, you're just not in good shape. Like, you have to make a decision how far you're going to push this and know that your risk levels is very high. And... Um, and so when I left things, like it was a huge surprise. And I, I think one of the things too, is it was, it was very difficult for people close to me to understand this because they look at it from the outside and say, you had everything. You were at the top of your game. Like you were, and I'm like, I'm still at the top of my game. And, but it was really, it was, it was hard for me, but I came to terms with it actually faster than the people around me, which was kind of weird because I think there's this thing where people, and I, and I talked about this a couple of years ago when I was doing consulting in the state of California, maybe like two years ago during COVID. When I cut back my hours, like people were like, please don't do this. Like, did we do something wrong? Like, what will it take to like keep up the hours? I'm like, oh, you're all cool. Like, it's just like I want to do other things like tomorrow. But you, you, know, were, you were creating an inconvenience for them that they didn't approve. I was creating inconvenience. And I also think they knew me. They knew I was reliable. They knew I was honest. I knew my stuff. And for them to transition to somebody else was very uncomfortable. And like I said, like tomorrow's going to be 74 here. I'll be out biking. And that's the way I was with when I was consulting in California um, for like special education and school administrator stuff. I'm licensed in Wisconsin and California for most levels of school administration. And and I just said, you know, tomorrow, if it's 75 and sunny, we're going to cancel because I'm going to be out biking like this. And, and actually, I never received pushback on that. People be like, I wish I could be you, right? I wish I could be you. I said, I'll catch you up in a day or two later. It's no big deal. But like, I have to bike. Like, I just love biking. You know, I will bike three, 4,000 miles a summer. And 
it's just so ingrained in me now. But before Megan, before um, back when I was like, you know, 2012, 2013, the PBS meet, I would bike five miles and I would be winded and I'd be like, oh, this sucks. I don't like doing this. I'm so tired. Why am I doing this? Now I bike 7,200 miles, uh, li literally in a day. I'll bike 100 miles in a day. I'll be like, I love this. You know, I'm I'm just, I'm so excited to plan for a bike trek. Um, but it was, it was weird for me because I also had people abandon me and it was, and there were people who came back later and tried to like kind of rebuild the friendship or connection, but they didn't understand like, why would you leave at the top of your game? And I said, it's kind of like Chris Borland. So Chris Borland is from University of Wisconsin Madison. Actually, I, yeah, I don't school. know who that is. Okay, so he's a line. He was a linebacker with the 49ers. He played one season and then he left. And he said, "I don't want to have you know concussions. Like I don't want to deal with this later in life." I actually went to school with Russell Wilson. He was in a few of my classes. Oh, Russell really? Wilson. Yeah. The wow. Quarterback of Denver was in a few of my classes when I was doing my PhD. Um, so, but. But it was one of these things that was really hard for people to grapple with. And some people stayed with me and some people just like abandoned, you know, like. So, it, so you talked about people who were disappointed and abandoned you. Were there some other people, maybe some friends or family who said, wow, Dave, I'm so happy for you that you've, you decided to do this because I was really getting worried about you. There were. There were absolutely uh, people came forward and especially I call it the people who are in your corner. They really reveal themselves during that time. Right. And they kind of look and say, like, Dave's got a plan like this in, in a five year image, like this will all look good. Like this will all work out. But yeah, I did have those people um, in my corner and I'm so thankful for them. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, you it, found out who your tribe is. You do find it's, out who your tribe is. And it's, it's weird, Megan, because I've had people out. now try to re-enter the tribe after kind of like distancing themselves early. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm not quite I'm not quite ready for you to come back into the, my tribe because right at, at a tough time. And I will also say this, like when all of that went down, um, my dad was awesome, right? And, and I talked to him and said, like, let's take a father son trip. Like we'll go to state parks, we'll stay overnight and let's like spend like two weeks, just you and I like doing this stuff. And he was up for it. Right. So I had this awesome experience with my dad who had had a heart attack at my house in 2012. And I remember, you know, the, the ambulance coming and they said, where do you want your dad to go? And I'm like, he has to go to like this hospital and driving down there. And I didn't know if he'd be alive or not. And, uh, and so it was kind of like this thing of like, I had this extra time with my dad and we spent, we sat on lawn chairs above this like a uh, railroad that was down hundreds of yards from this campsite, the state campsite. And we just had this, this great time, a couple hours talking and, and it was, and I'm like, that would have never happened. That would have never happened had I not put myself first. Um, and then also like, you know, since then I've lost you know, 30 pounds. I'm extremely fit, right? You know, I bike, I'm hauling firewood and I'm just happy. And I, you know, so for anybody listening, right? I think that's the thing. Like if you're in a situation where you're not happy, where you don't think your health is where it needs to be, like it can change, like you can change it. And, you know, I did it. And right. And what other people think 
that's kind of secondary because you will have those people who will emerge in your corner who will be very overt supporters of you and you'll people who kind of like fade away because they're they're not used to seeing i guess the superstar exit stage right um and and it's kind of weird another one appeared it sounds like because their their idea of of dave wasn't somebody who could do a 50 mile ride and i wasn't even that person megan i mean i was I had no, I looked at the bike and I kind of like, you know, snarled at the bike every time I saw it in the garage. I'd be like, ugh. And now I'm like, you know, I'd spend an hour like fine tuning the bike before ride and I map out all of my trips beforehand. And it's just, um, I feel so, I'm, I'm biking past like last year, I'm, I'm biking in the country and there's farmers who are harvesting uh, hay from a field and they have a big like combine type device and they're out in the road. And I'm like, you know, I stop and they're like, hey, like, you know, we'll move all the stuff you can get past. I'm like, I can walk the bike past. No, don't worry about it. And, and But I'm just like, I'm, it's so incredible to do this, to be out there and to see deer and eagles and snakes on the road and turtles and things like that. Um, and I, I remind people, I teach right now, I'm a university professor. When I teach my legal classes, uh, a big part is spending some time reminding people, don't lose yourself. If you ever get to a situation where, you know, you're, you're up, especially during COVID, I was teaching superintendents, they'd be like, I'm 24 hours a day, right? I can get a text or a call. Somebody tested positive. Now I've got to shut down a second grade or something like that. I'm like, you've got to take care of yourself. And I understand all of these systems, but remember, like, you are more important than this. And that's my main point to people. I, I got to work, Megan at the sh- the school for the blind in Wisconsin I became their head of therapy services after I had left this high stress position so I come into this position and I have no idea right I don't know how to read braille I don't know cane technique I don't know any of this and I'm pretty scared and I will tell you that was the best job I ever had in my life um I absolutely loved it on days like today where it would be 70 and sunny we'd be out on on uh, tandem bikes with the kids for an hour biking around the town oh because of the lifestyle of of this job oh yeah it was so when i came down there and of course i had this this massive expertise and we built out they had endowments for um therapy equipment so we built indoor playgrounds like in in this in this huge you know uh campus right we we did all and i knew all this stuff right and I just, and it was funny because I worked with a team of people who'd kind of been down the same path as me. They were like rock stars in districts and then had exited and now would come back to a place that was like really safe. We don't have a board of education. You can just be your authentic self. And I love the job. It was, and I'm like, for me, my life would have been incomplete without having that opportunity. So, um, you know, to the, to this day, I'm, I'm always so thankful that I had a chance to, um, you know, work at the School for the Blind, to be a leader there, to be one of the the administrators. Um, the kids were absolutely awesome. And, you know, it was a student who taught me Braille, right? And I would go down the hallway and I tried to be very quiet because if the student recognized me, she'd be like, okay, what is the letter E? Like six dots, is it two? Pop quiz. I'm like, I don't know. So I still have on my phone to this day, I still have a Braille app where you where it'll give you words and you'll have to like spell it out in Braille underneath. I still have that. But that to me 
was if I wouldn't have had that in my life, I would, and also school safety, right? What I do a lot of, it was a non-negotiable school safety for students who are blind. How do you do uh, fire drills? How do you do intruder drills? We had a two alarm fire at the school when I was there and everybody evacuated safely. We were able to, uh, you know, get buses to get kids back to their, everything was fine. And I just said, there were so many levels where looking back, if I would have continued on the path I was, I don't know, heart attack, obesity, just, you know, general, so negative, um, and this change. And, but so we have a few questions, Megan. What is, so we have Solitude Surfer asking, what is VOS max? I so think I think what you're meaning to say is what, what is your VO2 max? What okay. Is, what, what is your, your ability to uh, consume oxygen? And that's, that's a very common fitness marker. Um, I would just do a quick YouTube search on that for a nice two minute, okay. very complete video on that, but it's VO2 max. VO2 max. Okay. And then we have Misty, Mrs. Wayne saying, Megan, how do you stay motivated if you are a mom? Well, Misty, how to stay motivated to stay fit, I'm assuming, when you're a mom? Yeah, I think that's what so, she's, she's asking. How do you stay fit? Yeah, if you're, so one of the mom? things I love to do is I is I love to sell sell fitness. And okay. you have to know what people's incentives are. So what's an incentive for a mom? A mom is trying to keep her head above water and have all the energy to do a complete a task list that's always too long and there's never enough time to do. So I would say to a mom, imagine if you get up in the morning and you do your exercise, you put your own oxygen mask first and you feel like you're a superhero and you've got enough, enough energy to power you through your day, as opposed to when you wait till you're the last person to serve yourself and you don't have any energy left and you can't get on the bike and you can't go to that Zumba class and you can't you know, tr even turn on the TV. You're motivated for, for what? For your family. You're motivated by your kids. Not okay. We just naturally put ourselves last. So if I can spin it as you'll be a better mom, you'll be a more productive mom, if you stay fit, if you're strong and your VO2 max, your cardiovascular endurance is higher, how does that sound to you? And you get nodding heads. Now, what's interesting with grandmas, because grandmas often really put themselves last and they don't want to do exercise at all. Okay. I will perhaps shame them and say, well, if imagine if you don't you continue not to do any exercise and not and you don't walk. What are you, what's your body going to be like in 10 years? And their face just goes. Ooh. Right. Right. Are you going to become a burden to your family? And, you know, they're silently nodding their head. Wouldn't it be a great gift to your family to give them the fittest grandma, the fittest mom, who's going to be able to take care of herself for as long as possible. So that's a different tactic because the incentive is, is different. That makes, that makes sense. No, it does make sense. So, so Megan, let me, um, let me come back to your story of, tell us your fitness and wellness journey uh, in your biography. You know, you said you had, you had lost weight, you know, and, and for your sons, you wanted to be fit and you kept, kept the weight off. So I guess what was the realization point for you of saying, you know what, I need to become 
fit and I need to make a commitment to this for myself and for my family. Well, for me, I, that's how I was putting food on the table. So I had to get fit. I was making more. I saw the connection between me making more money and getting fit. Uh, I was a single mom. So I had a lot of incentive to improve our financial state. Um, the the food component of it was, I guess, easier as I started to realize I had to manage my macronutrients, meaning my proteins, carbs, and fats. And that realization helped me to get get the boys to have an early education about how yep. to do that. So we because often because I didn't have enough time or I'd be too tired at night, we'd go to eat at uh, at a Whole Foods, and I would make um, a. I had a placard for, for each of the boys that was colored with uh, red for protein, green for for greens, yellow for carbs, and maybe like a pink for a dessert. Okay. That showed the ratios. And I said, okay, boys, you go around and this is what you get to fill up on your plate. So they knew they couldn't just fill up their plates with mac and cheese and, okay. and dessert. They had right. to. And they would police each other. Oh, you don't have enough of the red on your, on your plate. You bet. Oh, and you need to. Mom's going to make you put more greens on your plate. So that was helpful because I could educate them about how to start better habits earlier than I had. Because I don't know about you, but I didn't know anything about proteins, carbs, and fats, what those were growing up. That was not part of our education. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that either. Um, when I grew up, you know, we had spam sandwiches, right? So frap some spam and white bread, uh, you know, hamburgers and 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 stuff like that. So standard yeah. American diet. Standard American, American diet. I was clueless, and of course, you know, college was just you know a mix of freshman fifteen, <laughs> freshman fifteen, Taco Bell Tuesdays. I had a friend who worked worked at Taco Bell, so right, like you could get extra you know extra food there. Um, but yeah, there wasn't any awareness, and especially when I was really like burning the candle, kind of at both ends on on in my administrative position, you know, there was. I guess there was no shame at that time of stopping at the gas station on the way home, filling up with gas and going in and buying like three donuts, right? So I didn't know anything right about carbs. And, and now I'll say like when I go out and bike, like I know to bring a green banana because- the, You need the fuel. The you fuel actually it, need it. It's going to burn a little bit lower. It's very, right. It's very scientific and specific. Like I've researched exactly what I bring with me. And I also know like, I'm not going to cramp up my calves and my hamstrings. And basically I can get off the bike after a 70 or hundred mile ride and put it away and be like, fine. Like after that. And I bring two gallons of water with me, which is pretty crazy. That 16 pounds of water. But, uh, you know, so when, when I take, you know, share photos when I'm biking or a picture of the bike, like the bike is very much designed to get to carry like all of these things with it. And it's amazing, though, um, to to understand. And I can actually find, Megan, when I'm biking, the point in time if I start out on like a cup of coffee, you know, like a 24 ounce of coffee and, and a, a little bit of um, carbohydrates in the morning when my body kind of switches over to burning like the, the bile and stuff from the body, like it starts to burn fat. I can actually detect when you that happens. You can feel that, that shift I to can, ketones. I can feel it. And yeah. I know that it'll be for like about 10 miles and I'll be switched over. And and I'm so aware of that, um, which is which is amazing. And, and as I said, like, you know, I am, 
I'm 30 pounds lighter than I was. I'm extremely fit. You know, like I said, I carried 15,000 pounds of firewood. Um, you know, did concrete work last week. I'm 51, right? So I, I, and honestly, like my 51 is significantly better than 31 or 41, significantly better. Um, so let's. So here's a question, Dave. Are you in yes. the minority? Are you, are, are most of, of our peers better now at fit in our fifties than in our thirties. And unfortunately I think statistics show you're in the minority. So we're in this kind of interesting age right now, because you know, we had, we had talked about, uh, you wanted to ask me about social media and how that's affected fitness and social media is just, is a tool, right? Yes. It's a yes. tool that we have available to us. We have so many tools and we have so much information, which is what you address in your, in your, your velocity of information book, which I got from, I asked my library to please get this book and they got three copies of it in our really, in our large library circulation, which is really cool. So I'm hoping other people are reading that book. Thank you. But to go back to that. So we, in theory, we should be fitter, right? Gen Xers should be more fit. And I think we're, we're seeing two tracks. If we can make a, a a crude observation. We're seeing people like you who are taking advantage of all these tools and all this information that's available and saying, wow, I can be a better version of myself. And what you described about how you prepare for your bike rides, you're honoring yourself as a machine that needs a certain amount of fuel. You need water. You're not just a brain. Whereas perhaps in your former identity, you're a brain that's attached to attached to a body that did stuff that you're not really aware about because it just automatically takes takes care of itself. Yes. But, but I, I think unfortunately, and I know from going to my last um, high school reunion, most of my peers have gone the other way and they've become worse versions of themselves to the point where I didn't recognize a lot of people because they gained so much weight. And wow, you think, wow. How can that be when we have so many tools, there are trackers, our, our phones can do so many things for us. They can remind us, right. um, they can motivate us. What's, what is happening? What, why is it that um, diseases of affluence seem to be taking over? Is it our, our attention spans or, or, or do, we, do we not have, really have those intrinsic desires to feel better? Are we just kind of, are people just giving in because they're overwhelmed? Certainly the the pandemic uh, was extremely challenging for people and you saw some people reacting right away. Their gyms were gone. Okay, some people just hit under right. a blanket, they right. gained their COVID-15 and other people went out and bought all the gym equipment they, that they could. Right. Two right. completely different reactions to an, uh, an instant scarcity. So it requires us to ask a lot of questions about, uh, are we, are we a fight? Are we a fighter? Are we, or, or are we someone who flees? And so that it, it just, it depends on what kind of person you are and the person that you are revealed itself. But unfortunately that's not the majority. So, so that, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, my, my daughters are both, um, dancers, right? So oh, me they, too. Okay. <laughs> so, the, so they've taken dance classes since age three 
And now my my oldest daughter is 16, right? And my my youngest daughter is 12. And they are very particular on practicing, right? And, and they're very much students of dance, which is amazing. But uh, we went to a local, um, I don't know, community event, right? Where uh, I, I don't know what to call it, like a, just a, a community gathering event. I forget what the name of it is, but I live in the third oldest town in the state. So it had something to do with like, you know, the, the canal days or something like that. But we have a canal. Some historic event. Some historic event. And my, my oldest daughter said to me as we were going up and getting some food, and, and this wasn't a comment made in jest or to deplete people, right? She was just saying, Dad, like 50% of the people here are obese, like just look around and I was why well, I saw it right and it wasn't as right it wasn't the statement to be be again trying to to undermine those people it was just a an observation an observation and I said yeah you're right and I'm like holy you know like it was it and these people were lining up for the food station because like you know this was why they came there and it wasn't a reason we came there we came there for the activity not for the food the food was kind of secondary but but it was it was something so overt so let me ask you this megan so um as a former school administrator somebody who teaches school aspiring school administrators, right? And it's kind of, it is very strange because states like California have gotten rid of physical education. And the reason they did that is they overtly said, this makes students feel uncomfortable about their body profiles and things like this and students with disabilities. And as someone who was a special education director, I said, there's no special education student out there who would say, I don't want FIAD, right? or I'm conscientious about FIAD because I have cerebral palsy. There's no kid who says that. So you're just making this up as the adults. But so what motivates, what do you think motivates kids and teens in your your, uh, professional opinion? Like what motivates kids and teens to become- This is a scary subject. Because um, the stats are showing that 80% of teens are not getting enough exercise. Yeah. 80%. 80%. That's frightening. And what are we doing? We're removing PE. Yes. Making it easier and easier to get out of PE. That's what I noticed in, in my boys' schooling. So, what's happening? Now, I noticed recently that uh, Pokemon Go has made, made a comeback. And so, some of the kids right now are running around because they're, they're on their phones trying to, yes. trying to get points. Is that going to be enough? Un- unlikely. What? So we know it's what motivates teens is the same thing that motivated us is being cool. So okay. what's the connection to being fit and being cool? And there, there is less and less of a connection to your physical vitality and, and your social status, because the kids are, as everybody knows, they're addicted to their phones. They're getting more and more ensconced in their virtual reality. They're yes. more interested in their virtual presence. And it's a, it's a tragedy. So it's hard. I've got, like, like a, you, you mentioned in my bio, I've got two fit boys. Um, they're involved in sports. My youngest plays varsity basketball. And my, my other one is, is a gym rat. I, I don't know if that's because of my influence or, or 
just their genetics or, or what, but I feel so lucky because so many of my clients um, tell me about how their children, that they can't get their children out of their rooms and off their, off their computers. Right. right. Yeah. They, they, everyone's got fit thumbs. Right. How's that going to help us that <laughs> you can't, you can't lift firewood just with your thumbs or, or, or levitate. So I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. If these kids ever want to do a firewood type uh, training experience, kind of like a camp, just let me know, Megan, because every fall, at least two weekends, I've got that going at my house. And uh, and it, it, it is it's pretty crazy because after I get done hauling, you know, in total about 25 to 28,000 pounds of firewood, I'm like, I'm, I'm just amazed I'm able to do that. And then one of my friends said, you know, like you have to kind of measure out the square footage of where you're putting this because it can kind of break your concrete. I said, I've never thought about that. I don't need to wake up with the side of my house gone because I stacked too much firewood. But um, so how about people? So you talked about kids in their teens and, and yeah, we didn't talk and, about millennials. How about twenties, millennials, elderly yeah. people, like what motivates them? Well, so I'll, I'll address elderly people really, really quick. And I did talk about it. Um, I, you know, elderly people could be boomers now that they're just, they're just scared that they're, they're not going to be able, they need assistance to get off the toilet. Just yes. basic things. Now what elderly people are also suffering from is loneliness. So uh, when I was a fitness director and I was in charge of finding as many ways to, to find a fitness solution for anybody who walked in, in that door, we had a lot of older people and what they wanted was community. So group fitness, I think, is is a great way to kill many birds with one stone where there's a structure where people are expecting someone to show up, where they uh, get to know people. People know their names and they're keeping them moving. So have you heard of a program called Silver Sneakers? It's a national I have not. Program. I've not silver sneakers. Okay. So silver sneakers. Um, I'm not sure who I should know this, who, uh, what, what government entity, uh, organizes silver sneakers, but most gyms will honor a silver sneakers membership, which provides uh, free access to, to any senior and they can, they can work out in the gym, but often what they like to do is have access to their group fitness. So, for any of your viewers who have uh, elderly family members or friends and they're not doing anything, I'd have them check out their local gym, their YMCA, and see if they have a silver sneakers program. A lot of seniors are deathly afraid of just walking through the door. So when I've uh, managed gyms, it was really important that everybody from the 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 cleaning staff to obviously the, the fitness staff thought of themselves as a fitness concierge, that they're an integral part of that, okay. that elder person's experience. And that that was the habit of they were being greeted by the door with their name. That was critical. And we were always on our staff for getting to know people's names because that's where the experience started, not when they were lifting the weight or, or, huffing and puffing. It was the totality of, of that experience. And I find that for seniors, that's even more important. So that's what seniors and I think young people have, have in common, that okay. uh, the social aspect of the fitness experience 
is as important as the physical experience. Now for millennials, what, what, what we saw was millennials were perfectly fine with the, the, the pandemic because they just went to their phones. They got to, they were staying home to work anyway. So they just plugged into whatever virtual tool was available to them. And it's been very hard for the, the fitness uh, industry to pull those millennials who have a lot of extra spending money to pull them back in the gym. They said, no, we're fine on our Peloton bikes and using our mirror apps and doing our the Nike right. apps and just doing push-ups and squats and calisthenics and foregoing all that expensive equipment in the gym. So the fitness industry has had to pivot quite a bit by offering uh, a blend of digital, a digital interface and mixing that with in-person and in-person experience to flex that for when you don't want to stay home. And so I, I really admire how, uh, how clever and how creative the, the, the fitness directors have had to be to keep people coming in, into the gym. And it's been hard because a lot of fitness uh, gyms have closed. They had to close facilities because the millennials didn't care. Really? Wow. So I, like with the Peloton bikes that, yeah. track, that track your fitness, that uh, before the pandemic, they had 1 million subscribers. Okay. That almost overnight went to 6 million. Which Whoa. Is incredible. And this, and these, the Peloton bikes are expensive. They're a couple grand. You're paying right. another 40 bucks a month. Uh, right. But they, but the millennials have that, um, that desire to either get fit or stay fit probably more than maybe more than any any other generation so they're staying fit but it surprises me that they don't care that they have the state-of-the-art equipment that they're happy to stay home and do a yoga program at home and and do just a body weight workout without the equipment so that that makes me a little perplexed and i don't know what that's going to look like so what age is that what what age fits so into that what millennials are like late 20s now to yeah. To uh, 40s, I think. It always changes, so I, I have to refresh that to, to remember what age ages those are. So what you're saying, Megan, is like they're they're content with staying at home and kind of doing their workouts. And, yeah. And not Would you say well, that's, that's what your face validity tests show, to use one of your terms? Yeah. So face validity is one of my terms. Um, I guess, I mean... I personally, for my own fitness, like I am a, a solitude fitness person, right? So I do fitness on my own, um, and especially like biking, right? People be like, hey, like, can I bike with you? I'm like, yeah, not really, because I have a certain pace I want to go. I just want to, I can change things up as I'm biking. I bring a podcast along on an external speaker, stuff like that. I'm like, so um, kind yeah, of Yeah, like so you're more like a Gen <laughs> X where, where you want to hit your own goals. I do. And, and, I, and also there'll be times when I'm biking where I'll be like, okay, for the next mile, I'm going to bike like 20 miles an hour. Right. And then I'll kind of monitor my heart rate, but all these things, right. If I had somebody like with me or a couple people, I'm just, I'm just not into that for workouts and it's not anything with my uh, appearance or fitness or anything like that. It's just like, I kind of know what I want to do and it, and it calibrates and curates in the moment. Um, so, 
So, about, so yeah. going back to what motivates people, like if I was your coach, I'd know Dave is someone who's very data driven and it would be really important that I show you what your progress is. Okay. But not all of my clients are like that. I know a lot of them are, are driven by me asking them how they're doing and, and incorporating uh, attention towards, towards their life. And the fitness becomes kind of almost a, a secondary goal. So, because as a, as a fitness professional, our biggest obstacle is compliance. Okay. Are you gonna do what I want you to do? And I've got to know what, what your, what drives you, what scares you, um, what motivates you. And I have to tailor that for, for every person. As I said, there, there are trends with, with the different generations, but I have to know that to figure out how do I get you to, to stay with this when I'm asking you to lift heavy weights and do uncomfortable things. Yes. Now, when, when I've taught group fitness, that's more edutainment. That's, that's putting on a show. That's a completely different, different motivation. I've got to have the right, you know, the, the right music that fits that generation that, that gets them going. So it, it, it really depends. Like for you, you need the right bike, you need the right equipment, and that's more important to you than the than the social interaction you're having with somebody. Because, like you said, you're doing it often by yourself. So I think for for people, whether they're asking themselves, "How do I motivate myself?" Socrates said, "Know thyself. Just know what motivates you, and don't worry about what other people think you should be doing." Because at the end of the day, if you, if you don't like it, you're not going to do it. So I always want to find out what do you like to do? What did you like to do when you were younger? Because yes. I look at fitness, there's two, for me, there's two components. There's moving and then there's lifting hard stuff that you don't like to do. Right. So I will prescribe strength training that almost nobody likes to do except for the weird people like Drew Bay. Right. And then there's moving at lower intensities for long periods of the day. And for that, if you like to walk, great. If you like to swim, okay. What do you, what are you willing to do for long periods of time? But you gotta come in and do some pushups <laughs> at least once or twice a week. Absolutely. So, so Megan, how about with social media? Do you feel that People will want to like, hey, here's the picture of me after I worked out in the gym. And like, you know, and other people are like, hey, like, that's great. Like, you know, good for you or you, you're looking great. Um, that, that that is playing a part where um, I, I guess how has social media changed fitness in, in your over your career? Like, is it where um, I, I guess where I would think it, it's going to be people I mean, I do this. I don't post pictures of myself. I'll usually post a picture that I have my bike and like some scenic background, right? Like, hey, like bike, you know, 70 miles today. And like, you know, here's whatever. Um, so are people, is is social media like one of their driving influences? Like, hey, just worked out or whatever. And then a couple thumbs up and it's like, yes. Um, well, let's look at women. For example, let's put put the men aside. Okay. Women, women don't like to see other women surpassing them and getting and and losing weight or looking better. And this is a dirty truth of being, being female. Okay. So, 
So social media, when other people, when other women are posting their amazing results, um, you feel some scorn. Yes. <laughs> Why? Why? Why are uh, you well, doing that? No, I get it. I get it. I get it. You and Eric can do a whole episode on evolutionary psychology and, and yes. what motivates them. That's a whole nother show. Uh, so I think it works kind of in backwards ways. So if your bestie is is posting her weight loss results, and that is really that is you're not excited about her. You're right. you're upset that you don't have equivalent pictures to post. So that can be motivating because you're you're always trying to be the best of your friends. Absolutely. So it could be from that that standpoint. Also, uh, I, I you know, in talking to women as they feel as their self-esteem goes down, as it's associated with how they look, they don't want to post pictures of themselves on their social media. So it can be be a motivator of, of just knowing, wow, I'm, I'd really love to be able to be proud to post a picture of myself, of how I actually look without um, doing all these Elizabeth Taylor-like lighting tricks. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's, right. It's, a, it's a complicated thing. I don't know, has social media helped? I don't know that it's been yeah. a huge net um, helper in that in that way i don't think so i think it's i think it's added to our to the stress of how how we should be instead of focusing yeah. on how do you want to look how do you want to feel what's going to boost your self-esteem not comparing it to other people so i think it's a double-edged sword i think you're right on with that megan i think people are when they're interfacing with social media and fitness, the question is, what do I have to gain versus what do I have to lose, right? So if people are affirming me and I'm posting some things, that's great. But what if I post the photo and suddenly people come out and they're making negative statements, right? About me and, and you know, my, how I look, right? Um, it's it's one of these things I, I am amazed at when I look at different news stories, right? And, and there'll be the comments thread underneath and people just kind of like go after somebody um, for something you'd be like, whoa, like they should be supporting this person. Um, so so we have, we have a um, elephant armpit who is a, a regular here on the show says, Gen Z seems to pay much more attention to the food they eat and staying healthy in general. I would guess social media influencers have a pretty big impact on not just the realm of vanity. So when you when you're helping people, do you have any idea if they're like kind of calibrating themselves? Oh, I want to be like this person who's on the internet or like this celebrity or whatever. Are they are they trying to have that as kind of their guidepost or, or their their you know their their lighthouse, right? That they're trying to become somewhat aligned with this person or this or like you know or they see like a Drew Bay or that. they see you so what do you think about that yeah i agree i agree with the, the gen z uh focus uh having a focus on on physique and and looking a certain way and they're they're a lot more educated because because they've got youtube university available to them and they can watch their their favorite influencers talk about you know, they seem every influencer seems to talk about what they're eating Yes. You know, that, that's something that, that when, you know, when we were growing up, we weren't asking the celebrities, what do you, our favorite celebrities, what are you, what are you eating? 
but but now that there's so much content out there and there's so much curiosity curiosity about all aspects of your favorite person's life i think i think that has had an influence on on young people so perhaps they're they they're more they're more educated because they, they have that available to them megan do you remember the movie smoky and the bandit by yes. chance with jackie Wilson? Yes. so yes he ate a diablo burger burger during that which i don't know if that's healthy or not Nobody knows what is exactly uh, in a Diablo burger, but uh, but yeah. So it's well, Jackie Gleason's <laughs> Jackie body Gleason. isn't any indication. Right. <laughs> he may not be right. Uh, be our go-to. Jackie Gleason did not portray on film <laughs> that he was kind of the most fit. So so what are mistakes that people make um, that just kind of eviscerates their motivation? How how can what do they do that, that just sabotages their motivation? And what advice would you have to people, someone who comes into you, Megan, one yeah. of your clients and says, listen, I just want to give up. I'm, I am I tried to do whatever, or like, you know, in my case, like I remember one day I biked like literally, literally five miles and I got back and I was all winded. I'm like, screw this. Like, I'm not good. Now I bike like a hundred miles. I feel great. But what do you, what, what makes people want to just say like, forget it. I'm done. This is me. Um, I'm, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. And then how do you help people to kind of uh, reassess that position and be like, think about this, come back, you know, recalibrate it, and to help them not to just like, I'm just done. Yeah. I'm what's, done. What's hard is often the fitness professionals don't, don't get to see people when they've, um, when they've gotten to that dark place, they just, that's when we get ghosted. So what, okay. where we pick them back up is after they've, they've hit that rock bottom and then, then they've decided, well, I can either say my life is just going to suck and it's always going to be like that, or I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to try again. And that's usually when I talk to somebody, when they say, I just can't, I can't stand this anymore. Uh, I can't stand the state that I'm in. Not that they're, that they've lost their motivation. I usually don't don't talk to people when they've lost their motivation because that's when they're giving me uh, lame excuses for not coming in. And I like can't what? call them out like as, what? as a liar. Oh, was, oh was, uh, work is really stressful. Oh, kids, things are going on with my kids. They're just giving me excuses as to why they're not, they're not coming in for, for their appointments. Now, ho okay. hopefully I've figured that out before, bef before I've seen the the red flags before it gets there, but 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 not always, and it's not it's not our responsibility to ensure that every man is saved. So I, if you get to that point where like you're just ready to throw in the towel, it's very it's it's hard to yank somebody out of that. They really yes. have to hit that rock bottom, which is a, kind of an unfortunate feature of of the human condition. But if we can talk about what happened before, how do we not repeat how you fell off the wagon? Yes. What are the things that got in the way? So I want, so I can help you with that. The other answer, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. But one of the, one of the things that, um, that I really try to nail down with clients is being specific. People will say, oh, I want to get fitter. I want to get stronger. I want to get healthier. Okay. These are all kind of broad brush statements. And it's very hard to tell whether you're actually doing the things that will lead you to that 
very general goal. So I'll, so I'll ask them, what does that mean to you? How will you know when you're healthier? What, what biomarker, um, what, what goal that, that do you want to achieve so that we can tell if you've rung the bell or not? So specificity, that's a word that I use all the time, specificity. And then once we look at what's a specific goal, like maybe it's a it's it's a scale weight. I want, you know, instead of I want to lose weight, what does that mean? One pound? Are you happy right. with that? Or or right. are we talking 20 pounds? Because you don't know what that person, you may I may think, oh my gosh, you could stand to lose hundred pounds. And they're gonna be elated by losing 20. So we have to be aligned with what those goals are. And you have to kind of keep people's feet to the fire on what that is, because that's uncomfortable. Because people know once we got, start setting a specific goal, now right. we have to set a specific plan. So most of, I'm sure all your listeners have heard of, of the SMART planning of something that that's specific that you can measure that's that's attainable. Uh, and we, so we, we just map that out. How would I know whether you're on plan or not. Oh, I'm going to sleep more. Okay, what does that mean? Where are you at now? What 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 box could we check off to know whether you're doing these you're building these micro habits. So we get down into making logbooks and figuring out wow. what's, attain what's what is what is attainable. I'm big on the whiteboard. Yes. Because you can see it, it's in your face. I have whiteboards all over the place, and it drives my kids nuts. But okay. uh, that's, we live and die by the whiteboard, right? So I, I I just recommend that to to a lot of people because just because I don't like using the phone, you, you can. There are many habit trackers that are available that can remind you uh, that you have some accountability towards. So accountability is is uh, a ubiquitous word when it comes to achieving goals. Who are you accountable to? Because we're not accountable to ourselves, unfortunately. So we often need something external. And that's why people will go to a personal trainer because they need external shaming. We want that to be intrinsic. But if it's got to be uh, extrinsic in the beginning, okay, so be it. Now, a lot of people make the mistake of setting uh, big, hairy goals. Yes. And that's unfortunate because it gets demoralizing very quickly. So I just try to encourage people to, to set a six-month goal. And then what are the weekly activities you need to do week, daily or weekly to hit that target? And then you, you, you set the goal you set the goal then. But a lot of people will, will just say, oh, I know, oh, no, here's a handful of things that we need to do. So one of the things I do with clients is I have, a, I have a, a flashcards that have about 40 different strategies in regards to health or we'll say um, diet and, and fitness of things that you can improve. And I have them very quickly put them into three stacks. Here's something I know I need to do. Yes. Here's a stack of things that I'm not sure maybe I should be doing. And here are things I refuse to do. Okay, good. So we've now whittled this down into two stacks of things you know you need to do. And I'll ask them, okay, let's go through the maybes. Do you have any questions about that? We'll talk about those things after we talked about it, have any of those strategies moved into, I know I need to do these things. Okay, so now we may have a dozen things in the, I know I need to do these things. And then I'll ask, is it reasonable for us to us expect you to flip a light switch and now start drinking uh, 
a gallon of water a day or making sure you've had a pound of vegetables a day and that you're sleeping eight hours a day. No, you'd be totally over overwhelmed. So we start with the micro habit, which one to three things could we add this week that will move the needle forward? What's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck of all of these things. And often we talk about food because people think, Oh, I just need to exercise more. If I if I just did my elliptical for right. 45 minutes every day, that's going to get me closer to looking better. Not really. It's probably it's probably going to be looking at what's on your plate at least 80% of the time. So so we'll prioritize goals. And then what motivates people is once they start seeing gains quickly, yes. I'm all about getting gains fast. Yes. So the planning uh is is critical that we aim for the right initial targets. Whereas a lot of people think, oh, I just need to, I just need to move more and eat less. And I get so exasperated when I see an overweight person jogging. I just, I feel so terrible and I just want to pull over and help that person because what's going to happen is they're going to jog for a week, maybe two weeks, and then their knees are going to ache and they're going to say, Oh, this jogging is terrible for me. And they just right. go back to the, way they, to the way they were when that's a terrible entry point for people. But that's that's kind of what we've been programmed to do. Oh, I got to move more and eat less. So now your metabolism is going the wrong way and you're doing exercises that uh, are are too much force for where you're at now. So I just yeah. threw a whole bunch of things at you. Uh, no, no, Megan. That makes sense. Oh, one thing I want to add uh, is this Fitbit thing. Yes. So I have kind of a love-hate relationship for the, these Fitbits because I think it's great. I think it's I think one of the things that that boomers especially have improved is is policing their steps. Okay. And am I getting ten thousand steps? And I think that's been wonderful because I hear a lot of chatter about that from my from my parents. Uh, friends from my my boomer clients that they actually they talk about that they can see it and and it's attainable to go oh yeah I used to be 3,000 steps now I'm getting 5,000 steps and I got 10,000 steps and I put that on on my Facebook page that's awesome and then I see people whose goal uh, is largely to lose weight and they and they think that if I just get enough steps in that's going to take care of everything so they get completely obsessed with what they're their Fitbit says, and they're they're looking at the at maybe not the most ideal target for what their goals are, and then they get demoralized because they're they're doing yes. everything the Fitbit says they should be doing, and things aren't moving for them. So I see a lot of my female clients get addicted to to that when we need to be talking about food intake. Absolutely, and I've seen, I've seen people um, who have you know acquired a Fitbit or some kind of smart device, and then they get on some kind of leaderboard, and and it's it's this competition. But I've seen it go both ways. Like yeah, it it can be helpful. It can yeah. be very helpful. They they've been really motivated, but then if they are lagging behind somebody else, it can kind of be like oh, you know, and yeah, if you're not at the top, right, then. Like it's a it's a leaderboard. Who's the leader? When second place should be phenomenal because if that's that's right producing better results than what you were getting before, then you're then you're a winner.
but the way we tend to look at competitive things, it, 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 it depends. Like that wouldn't motivate me. Yeah. To be the I top mean, of the leaderboard. personally, like, you know, people will ask me, do you, do you log your bike trucks, right? Do you put those out there for, and you can, there's some website, like a couple people who, you know, bike and they'll say, I can upload it to whatever. I'm like, yeah, I don't really get into that. Uh, I said, you know, there's a component of that, which might be interesting where I can kind of have this archive of places I've gone and stuff like that. But I, I said, really, like, as far as like motivating me, that that's not it, right? Um, but I guarantee you there are Facebook, there are private Facebook groups of, of bikers who do want to compare, compare how much yeah. mileage they put in and it does drive them. In fact, I have a, I have a friend who uh, is a colleague of Drew's and he used to train, he used to train high intensity in London and his niche market uh, were white collar executives. Okay. And he used to, okay, you're not supposed to do this, but he would, he would put all of their charts uh, in an open file cabinet or have them uh, on wow. available for any of them to look at because that motivated them to beat the other guys. Now that's not, that's not normal, but that competitive spirit does drive some people. And you've just got to figure out what drives you. Is it the experience itself or, or is it being able to check off the box? I have a lot of people who create lists. So, because you get a dopamine hit from checking a box of completing something. Yes. Great. So yeah. do that. You know, Megan, so I was I was teaching a class on Saturday and, and we had this assignment. It was about shared vision. Now, granted, like this doesn't have anything to do with fitness, right? But it was school stuff and whatever. But but um, one of the things I, I stated in that in that activity is I said, you know what? From like a like an airplane, an airline perspective, right? From a pilot, you you're probably off course 90 percent of the time. And then is and this is a quote from Stephen Covey, and I have a friend who's a pilot, and he said, "Yeah, this is true as long as right <laughs> you're flying by like landmarks and stuff like that. You're off course ninety percent of the time, but as long as you're moving like west, like that's your goal and your fitness goal is west and nutrition, you're in good shape, right? You don't have to hyper um, calibrate every moment of the journey. And when you get within like the last twenty miles, yes, then you'll hone down and get to the runway and stuff. And it was amazing because when I shared that example with people, it I could notice like like it was resonating because people felt they had to be so hyper analytic from every step. And I said that's what absolutely will derail you. You will not hit Starting a couple from perfectionism. Your perfectionism. You won't mm -hmm. and you won't hit a couple goals early on and then it'll feel like a defeat and I'm like the only thing you need to do now, right? The only thing you need to do to do is keep flying west. And as you get further along, like it'll be, you know, things will make sense, but do not micro do not like hyper micromanage this, right? And I and I thought that was liberating. It was the first time actually I had approached it this way. But when so people had had submitted their assignments to me, and I'm grading these assignments, I'm like, oh, like they are way too micro. Like this will never work. If you come into it with this approach, you will burn out. You'll feel like a failure. Like you'll feel like the system failed. Like you know, um, this isn't the way. To, and also. You know, in that case, it was interesting because I said, you know, like five, seven years from now, you're not going to be the one now in fitness is different, but you're going to hand the baton off several times. So you have to just set this broad 
this is kind of broad based, but um, so so Megan, tell me tell me about one case, one time when you worked with somebody and it kind of surprised you, like they they either like just totally blew you blew your mind on what they what they set for their goal and what they accomplished, or or like you know you thought you looked at them and thought they're not coming back, like they've checked out and suddenly like they roared back. What was one of those stories um, that you can share? Um, let's see. I worked with uh, a young man who's kind of on the spectrum, and they started. He started working with me. His mom was working out with me, and she was so frustrated with her son's inactivity. She said, "Maybe you can help him. He's he's 18. Uh, he can't keep a job. He's just so unfocused and so unmotivated." And maybe he can come in and you can work out with him. And he came in very tall, lanky kid. And he had such a hard time with this high intensity training, which uh, if, if Drew's exposed you to that, it's very slow movements. Imagine doing a push up four seconds positive and four seconds negative. It right. takes a, a lot of motor skills to be able to do that. And he had almost none. And I thought, this is a kid. I. I still think I can help him. I, I, I don't okay. seem to communicate with him. Um, and I got him, I encouraged his mom to have him do some neurofeedback, which I had had some, some experience with. So he was doing some neurofeedback and that, that seemed to stabilize him a little more, stabilize his mood. He was less anxious. And then we, after he did that for a little bit, he came, came back in and started to do more, more training and he did a little better. He was doing a little better. And, and oftentimes we'd have to completely stop because his legs would, would just completely shake and he'd be convinced that his body was going to just uh, implode and we'd have to stop and do breathing exercises and, and meditative exercises for him. And there were times that I honestly wanted to throw in the towel that this, this, this is just too hard of a case for me. I can't get him consistent enough. Uh, but I stuck with it because he seemed to enjoy coming and I would schedule him at a time that after he was finished with his workout, I could, I could eat lunch while he sat in the corner and recovered. Uh, and after, after a, uh, maybe like a year and a half, he got a job working at Amazon and he kept this job. And I was so amazed because his other attempts at working, which okay. is we start, stop, start. So he just to get too overwhelmed, kept this job. He was getting, um, slight promotions. The next thing I know, this this kid, this young man now, uh, has a girlfriend. He's moving out of his mom's place. Whoa! He, yeah, it, now and then he's uh, he and his girlfriend are moving in together, and he's he went to school to to do accounting, and he got a job as an accountant as doing bookkeeping for a restaurant. So that the, that took about four years for all of that to unfold. But that was so meaningful to see him go from a very underperforming young man who, gosh, if he could even just make his, remember to, to show up in my studio on time, sometimes that seemed like a miracle. To be living out on his own with a bookkeeping job and a girlfriend was enormous progress. And, I, and for me, I like to I like to do strength training for people, especially people who haven't lifted weights because right. it builds inner strength. When you see that that you can lift heavy things 
beyond yes. your comfort zone, you find that you can do this in other areas of your life. And this is kind of where my um, my life coaching bleeds into the the personal training. Yeah, and that's absolutely. really satisfying to see people have hard conversations with their loved ones because we've talked about it and and I just coach them to use the same approach that they use in the weight room in their life with with relationships or at work or setting other goals. So that's just one example of people consistently staying on track and, and just continuing to try. While you may have little mini failures along the way, if you're consistent, you should progress in, in many aspects of your life. So that's why it's fun to do what I do because I see that progress with people. That is awesome. Megan, I interviewed uh, Mike Dahl, who's the head of Wisconsin Esports. And so esports, you know, video game based sports yeah. gets together and things like that. But one of the things Mike mentioned to me um, was he said, Dave, one of the top athletes in esports is a student who is a quadriplegic who had a mouth adapted controller made for him and he's ranked in the top tier in our state. He said, actually, I played him and he beat me. Um, so this was a, this was an interesting thing too. Do you, tell me, um, people with, with um, disability, right? Either from birth or acquired disability and you interface with them at fitness. Um, is, is, how does, how does that work? Somebody comes in when they have mild cerebral palsy or they've had a stroke or a mm -hmm. you know, post heart attack or something like that. Are they, do you, is it that the disability has propelled them to fitness because they're they're afraid? I don't want to lose more. I don't want this to happen again. Or um, is the, is do they come into this with some kind of like extra strength? Right, like you know, I'm going to propel myself now to overcome this challenge. Or what do you, what do you see with that? I usually don't get that attitude of the 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 they've had a hero attitude of well, I beat this. I can I can do it. I can I can overcome any mountain. I usually don't get that. Um, it's usually because someone is depressed because of their state and somebody else has recommended, well, why don't you start working with Megan? I had this issue and that issue and she's very creative and she found ways to modify a workout for me. Now I've never worked with a quadriplegic, okay. but I have, uh, one woman I worked out with was 86 and she came in on a, with a walker. Her son would have to bring her, uh, bring her in and we were really limited with what with what she could do because she could hardly get into uh in, into any of the equipment so we would the walker was her station and we would okay. do so you know everyone knows what a walker looks like right yes the in strength training there are three major major planes of movement you're squatting you're pushing something and you're pulling something and this is called the big three if you can do those three things, that's a total body workout. So I would find ways for Ruth to, to hit the big three somehow. And so we do uh, a squat with her walker where she's just going up and down. Or in the beginning, she was just squat and hold it. Yeah. So okay. she used that as as uh, stability bars. We put the brakes on and she just bend her knees. And she could probably do that for 12 seconds. And she'd stand up and I go, okay, Ruth, take a couple breaths. We're going to do that again. She'd squat and then we get up. 
That was a leg exercise that is still hitting the quads and the glutes and maybe a little bit of, of calves, but she was getting stimulus from holding these positions. Okay. Now, someone, let's say, um, they've got a lot of joint issues. I deal with that a lot. So not as extreme as you were talking about, but I'll ask somebody, flex your bicep. Does everybody can do that? You can flex your bicep. Now yes. just continue. Now don't just flex and relax. I want you to flex your bicep at, at with light effort. And I'll say 30% effort, just hold that. 15 yep. seconds goes by. Now flex it harder, 50% effort. So maybe I can't move my arm, but I can, I can contract that muscle. I may be able to contract my chest. Maybe I don't have, uh, I, if I don't have hands, right, and, I, and all I have on my, my, my arms, I have, I have carpal tunnel, and I'll take a block, and I'll squeeze it. I'm just squeezing the block, mentally contracting my pecs. Okay. Or pushing like this. Yeah, you can just, you could do that. Okay. Any, anybody can do that and sustain that. That's actually fire, that's that's uh, firing your muscle fibers right. in succession as you continue to do that. That's a workout. So we can do things in the chair. And I'm one of these crazy people and I'm just talking to people uh, at, a, at a restaurant and maybe they pick up that I do fitness and they'll say, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. And I can't do that. And you know, don't tell me you can't do things. Cause I'll, I'll find a way for you, for you to do it. So there, there are, there are lots of ways to contract a muscle with your volition, volitionary contraction. Yeah. And if you can do that, use yeah. your imagination. You can contract your glutes just by thinking about it, your glutes even. Okay. So Megan, I was a basketball coach for seven years, and oh, is that right? Wow, I, I was. Yeah, I used to have. Uh, I have the trophies over here from a couple of years we won league, and and uh, and one of the things I taught my players because it was taught to me is when you're on the bench, imagine that you're in the game, right? Imagine that you're receiving right the inbound pass or or whatever. Like keep yourself in the game even though you're on the bench, and that's I don't know. It seemed to work. Um, I'm a big believer but, in, in visualization. Yeah. You know, yeah. See yourself making the steal, you know, hitting the shot or, you know, where you would be on defense. And, and, uh, and I remember I, you know, I thought that was very effective coaching, you know, back at that time. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. So from, so, from a sales perspective, that's where I would take somebody who's dejected. Imagine yourself doing the activities that you just told me you, you miss doing. Imagine doing that. And imagine, maybe I'll, uh, we'd come up with an, an in-between like activity. Imagine uh, just doing the stair climber for five minutes a day and, and how, you, how you're gonna feel in a, in a month when you can just do that stair step or that stair climber for five minutes a day and how much closer you'll get to being able to to, to summit Rainier, Mount Rainier, if that's, that's your goal. And, okay. and I think, I think that does something to the brain to help motivate that person to actually, to visualize them doing it. And it moves the needle closer to them and starting to do the things that will lead them to ultimately to that goal. I don't know if you were going, that's kind of where you were going. With no, that. no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Right. Uh, imagine it. You know, when I, um, 
so what, so something on Saturday when I was talking with my my aspiring school leaders right in classes is I, I said, you know, well, I asked how many of you have been, have ever presented before um, your state legislative body on a hearing, right, for something? And they're like, none of us. Like, how many of you have, I mean, and some of this is a little bit of a setup, right? Because like, you know, I've been on PBS national television a few times. It's not, but like, how many of you envision yourselves presenting before your state assembly on a bill, which is having to do with school funding, right? Which is, pretty ubiquitous, like that happens. None of them, right? So I said, envision yourself, and then I actually had an activity where we did it for four minutes. I'm like, here are the, here are the questions, like say what your name is, why you're qualified, are you for or against, a personal story, and then a fact. I'm like, and, and that's it, like just, but it was to to have people like, you know, this is where you're at. This is the room. These are people, they're not gonna cross-examine you. This isn't a court hearing, don't worry about it. They want to know from you, like this is a good thing that you're doing. And when those activities were done, people, students would do that. Something happened that I didn't expect would happen. People clapped, their fellow peers, like not just clap like this, you know, the golf clap, they were clapping. They're like, good for you, Eduardo, for like, you know, just doing this pretend. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted to accomplish. I want you to feel that, I want you to envision yourself doing this. And also I'm going to tell you, like I've done this several times. It's not terrifying, it's not whatever. There's no catastrophic mistake you're going to make. Um, but, it, but people, I, I, I shared with them, I said, you know, people, no one's ever told you this, right? No one is, has, has told you what's possible. And sometimes people I think think it, and until someone kind of says, yeah, like you can do that, you can go for it. Like you can write a journal article or you could do this or do whatever, testify. Um, so there is this thing, I think, as a coach. So as a coach, you're the one who's setting that primacy, right? You're saying, like, you can do this. And I honestly think a lot of people have never been told that. And I, I believe this from when I when I speak and I testify on discretion. People do not believe that they have the discretion to act in their own best interest. And so as a coach, um, as a fitness coach, as, as a fitness mentor, um, how do you see yourself in that of just telling people, um, you can do this. It's not impossible because I think people talk themselves out of it before they even get one step down the road. Yeah, what you do and I do, are, I think, are very similar because you're 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 coaching your students to to see themselves acting in a certain profession that may be uh, several steps beyond what they imagined. And yeah, and I and I'm doing something on on the on a personal uh, in a personal realm. And while I can be the cheerleader and say, yeah, yeah, you can, you can do this. Um, they may go, I know you think I can do this. And I know, I know uh, that, that there's a probability that I can do it, but I just don't, I don't know if it's likely because of all the failures I've had in the past. And then it just comes down to what, what do you choose? What are you going to choose? You're empowered to choose the route of, oh, it's not likely to happen. Or, yeah, I'm going to choose to be a person who tries. And I'll put pressure in that moment of who are you? Are you a person that tries hard things or, or are you not? And are you, are you, what are you modeling for the people around you? Because I usually know something about their, their family. They have kids. What, right. what, are you, 
what do you want? What would you want your kids to do in that situation? Well, I'd want them to try. Well, so why wouldn't you take the same, the very attitude that, and the very advice you'd give to somebody else? That's that's a uh, strategy that I often use on other people. If someone else had the goal that you have, what would you counsel them to do? I'm going to write that down. Okay. Because people know the answers. They don't. They actually don't need us. <laughs> Thankfully, they need us because. You know, we we all need to to make a living. You tell them. But most people have have that wisdom; they just turn it inwards. Kind of a tacit wisdom. Um, yeah, I like that. Now people, my hand. People know what true north is. I don't know. Is that a Stephen Covey thing? True north. I, it makes it makes sense though. Um, so the researcher Gary Klein in the 1980s. I wrote about this in. I think my first book, School of Errors. But so Gary Klein um, sent uh, university students out with firefighters in Los Angeles. Uh, you couldn't do this today, right? Okay. But in the 80s, so they're riding along on the fire trucks. And he said, um, document when decisions are made while fight, fighting a fire. And then, so one of the things that got to be really perplexing was when people would be on a roof. I, I, I was a firefighter also. So you know, this resonates kind of strongly with me, but um, when people were on a roof and they would be like, time to get off. And then like they get off and a minute later, like the building would collapse, right? And so Klein was noticing this. Students would say like, you know, there wasn't a call from the chief. There wasn't three blasts from the fire engine or whatever that typically would tell you to do this. People just knew, firefighters just knew. So they would interview the firefighters and they would say, so what was happening? Was the roof kind of getting soft? You know, they would give these things. They said, no, we just knew it was time, right? We just knew the roof was about to go. And it was strange because they, it wasn't, it was this strong tacit knowledge, right? There were, there were signs that were, they were reading, right? Maybe at a subconscious level and things like that. But, um, but I think getting people in tune with, with that, right, to, to, pay attention and, and not to be zoned out to what the subtle um, tacit knowledge, they also call it gut instinct and things like this. Those are often correct. Like in my research, like in Velocity of Information School of Errors, like those 90% of the time, right, your tacit knowledge is is steering you in the right direction because your body is trying to pattern things, your mind and stuff like that. But the but Gary Klein, that was an awesome study. And they they would they would you know work with firefighters you know are there certain words here like you know soft or heat or whatever they're like nope <laughs> we just knew it was time to get off and so so it's one of those things too like right if someone is working through fitness i think when i worked through my own kind of fitness challenge which would have been maybe like what 2013 2014 i just knew right i just knew I wasn't, I wasn't feeling well. I also knew I didn't look well and not look well to like what other people would consider, but also as I would look in the mirror, like, holy smokes, like I just do this not. This is not me. This is not me. Um, and then as I shared on Marion Marion West, when I did the interview, um, I walked maybe 10 miles a day for two years. And, you know, suddenly, you know, then I dropped down to maybe like 180 and now I'm probably like 205, which is really kind of my functioning, I think, appropriate weight. Right. But um, but yeah, it was it was this tacit knowledge. You kind of need to recognize that and have and, and it's I, hard I, because we're all so unsure. We don't know. Yeah, we don't we don't trust ourselves. And, and social media is telling us this is right. This is 
this is how to be a guy. This is how to be a girl. This is how to be a, a human or whatever terms we're using these days now. And I think there's so many people who have lost that trust in themselves. So if we're able to kind of go to a quiet place and just listen, and I, I don't want to get all woo woo because I don't think your show is oriented that way, but I will, I'll have conversations with clients and I'll ask them a question and we'll sit in silence and I'll admit it is a long time, but if that's what it's going to take for yes. a truth to come out, it's much more powerful for their truth to come out versus because Megan said so. And it's taken me a long time to get to get to that place. My art of coaching has evolved drastically since I started, I don't know, 30 years ago. I used to be just a finger pointer of you must do this. And now I'm asking, right. I'm asking, I'm asking questions to find out what's what's right for you. How how can I help you figure it out? It's not what I think is right. I, I like that, Megan. One of the things that I do, and I've learned this from other people, is um, help me to understand, you know, um, why why you're struggling with this assignment, right? Why you're struggling with this budget assignment or why you're doing this. And, and it's kind of like, sometimes you'll find out like, it's not the assignment itself. It's because if I present this in my district, I have a very strong like principal who's going to be like, I need this for my building and whatever. And that's going to be very confrontational. Okay, look, well, thanks for sharing that, right? So let me, let me help you frame that up a little bit. So like when you're you know, presenting to your superintendent or board of education for funding or whatever it is. But I often tell people too, like I said, I've been through a lot of crazy stuff, right? And when I wrote the, when I wrote School of Errors, this was the book that I knew would end my career in school administration. And I was kind of at that point anyway, but you know, when you take on the $3 billion school safety industry, and, and then I spun this into a PBS presentation, I said, there was no going back after that. Um, you were coming yeah. out. You were coming there, out of the closet. There, there was, it, that book was, you know, but I said, it's the book that after Uvalde, right, um, Austin PBS, you know, was playing daily, San Antonio PBS, and people from Texas were emailing me every day and saying, thank you for writing this. And, you know, I was getting contacted by different states, their head of safety, you know, stuff of saying, um, you know, what have you done since then? Like, how how can we become more informed? And I'm like, you know, and I was just, uh, I was very honest in the book. And when I, I narrated the book, you know, which was amazing too, because you could, I can hear, I listen to it. I can hear my own, you know, energy come into this of saying, it's crazy to do a tornado drill where you have a barn fan and you're shoveling gravel in it so kids can have the real experience, right? But, um, but, but, so, I, I want to go back to when I was when I was a kid in the 1980s. Well, kind of an older kid. We had the Presidential Physical Fitness Badge, and I think I still have one somewhere. They don't do these anymore. But when you have what what is your thought about um, when people are are pursuing fitness, right? If you do a badging type thing, if you're saying if you do this for so long, we'll you know give you a certificate or we'll put your name up on a board or you know, whatever does is is that effective, or who does who does that reach where they have to have the overt badging to bring them, kind of keep them motivated to keep that feedback there? 
it depends on the the social circle that you're in. So if you're in a you're in a school, uh, maybe that motivates certain kids to get that kind of rec recognition. I know that um, uh, at many of the health clubs that we'd that I've worked at, we'd have 90 day challenges, and the person who uh, the people who would who would lose their maybe 10 pounds or more in the, in a biggest lose loser competition that you have just in, in, in any health club and you put those before and after pictures up, that's really meaningful to people to see, to see that, that uh, visual marker of change. I don't know that we have so many awards today. I think that awards and those badges don't carry as much weight. Okay. That that that's my opinion. So I I've always uh, focused more on giving that person the meaningful validation from the people who from whom validation is meaningful, not just some you know everybody gets a trophy kind of kind of award. So I have mixed feelings on that. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Um, I can. I go back to um, kind of like video game designers, right? So video game, and not only for kids, right? Because we know like a lot of people that play video games are in their 30s. I think it's the average age. Is they they build in reinforcement um, very frequently. Dr. Sean Dickers was a guest on this show, um, also consulting the uh, video game industry. And people respond to that, right? Um, and also people respond to quirky things like... Um, being being motivated oh like you're playing this game and you didn't feed your dragon so billy like you know you didn't feed your dragon so you have to pay like for two tokens and um i i don't know because i i guess i don't i don't get into that as much but um well I, I, my son is playing pokemon go which drives me drives me okay crazy, but that does seem to motivate him to get to get these uh Little little emblems of things that show that he's he's gotten this token and that token. Yes, but that, that's very specific to to a game that's meaningful to them. Now if we're on the topic of fitness. Um, how do you make that? How do you translate that in into fitness? And I don't think you can do it as just a fitness achievement because that's too broad. So so in the past, I remember as a kid um, when Arnold Schwarzenegger was, yes. uh, I, I, I remember exactly where I was when, when our PE teacher said that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has is now the chairman of the Council on Fitness uh, from George Bush. And I thought, oh, well, the actor, that's that's kind of that's kind of cool. And that that had some impression on me as a dumb 10 year old kid. Now, and that probably made me work a little harder in PE that day. But do I remember anything after that? Not exactly. And did, did my parents um, respond to Schwarzenegger being being named the chairman of uh, fitness council? I don't know. I I I, I know that um, I think that JFK and 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 RFK had done some kind of campaign to promote fitness, and and they they hiked. They had a uh, some kind of long. Uh, hiking campaign that they did that was that was televised and and since JFK was such an idol, I'm sure that had some impact on on people's 
um, attitudes towards physical activity, but would that translate into, oh, you get, you, you, if you go so many miles, you're going to get a JFK award. Right. right. I just don't think so. People, people like to get very unique awards for things. So if you blast that into a national campaign, I, I, you know, I just get so sick of government waste. I'd hate to see a lot of money being spent towards something that was well-meaning, that was well-meaning, but didn't really have a, have an impact on large numbers of people. So when, when we had, um, talked about that back and forth. I, I don't I don't know what would work. I just think these things kind of happen organically that, that some activity just, just takes off and we notice in hindsight, wow, people were really going after uh, such and such award. But I don't think they're pre-planned. I think they just happen. Megan, let, let yeah. me wrap things up with this. So, so you and I receive a phone call and it is March of 2020. Oh, here I am. It's March of 2020. And uh, so it's a call from the White House. And they're saying, you know, uh, David, um, we we need you to participate in this uh, committee uh, for the National Fitness and Fortitude Campaign. And also Megan's going to be on there uh, and a few other people. Right. And and I'm like, whoa, OK, I'll be there. Right. So so it is it is March and April of 2020 and you know, start of the pandemic. Right. And when I wrote in the velocity of information, I said, I think there was a lost opportunity for the country to come together. And, and we know that we have this back in world war two in 1942, the committee for national morale was put together. Um, and people can, you know, can look at that or whatever, but, um, let's say that there was this committee that was put together in March of 2020. And the purpose of this committee was, let's get people um, into fitness, right? Because we know that people, it's an axiom, it's a truth, right? We know that people that are more fit are less likely to get sick. And if they are, if they do get sick, they're likely to not um, have as e extreme consequences because of that, right? So why would we not wanna do that? Actually, Dr. Fauci had said that, and I had quoted that in the book. So. They get us together, you know, we're part of a committee of maybe like 10 people. Um, let's let's say, what? And they're saying, okay, in two weeks, you have to release this fitness and fortitude campaign that's nationwide, right? What do you think could have been done on a campaign like that? And we're stuck in our homes? Well, yeah, we're, people are stuck in their homes. They are deemed essential, non-essential, non-essential or essential, but listen, we want to put this, we can get media out there, we can get celebrities, we can get companies on board, Amazon, you know, all these companies, um, Google, whatever. But, you know, we want people to become more fit, right? To become more resilient to the virus and we need your help. So how should we approach this? What's the motivation? How can we get this out there? And again, we've got like two weeks to launch it. What might be uh, realistic? if that would have been an actual national campaign with ample resources, right, to to make this happen for, let's say, Megan, two months. We two just months. have to get this okay. out there for two months. Okay, so do you remember the, the We Are the World collaboration I do. for AIDS? You remember that song, We Are the we World? We Are the World. Yeah. We Are the Children. And, and you had all these celebrities gathering all together. That was a big deal at the time to see 
all these celebrities on one stage. That was an incredible coordinated event. Yes. Now, if if Nike and maybe 20, 20 top artists came together with with a song about about moving, about keeping your body moving, and that all these singers and and celebrities who can't sing, they're all participating in, and this is produced, let's say, by Nike, not my favorite company. Sure. Just do it theme, and it's promoting an app or some program where everybody's doing. Uh, they're going. They're they're walking around their house, walking and listening to this song. Song. They're just doing this over and over again. And then they stop and they do a circuit, it, doing a circuit, and they do some kind of modified push up. And they go. There you go. And there and and you're watching Lionel Richie, Richie, who's maybe 85 years old right now. Right. Does a modified push up in in his that guy is fit. Million dollar, um, uh, multi million dollar kitchen. And then and then he stops and he does he does five squats. Okay. Modified squats. Right. You're, you're you're watching all these people do squats, walking around, push-ups. I don't know, and 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 flexing their biceps or or some okay. some, silly, some silly thing that people can they can uh, resonate with. And they're just moving. They're moving because we're stuck. We're like all of a sudden we became imprisoned, and not everybody has stairs in their home. I always tell old people, don't move to a Rambler. Keep keep at least a two story home so that you have a gym in your home, which is your stairs. Not everybody has stairs, but we can we can all walk around at least in circles to 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 move something right. like that. Or there's like this stupid dance that goes along with this this pandemic pandemic shuffle that you do right. has squats and push-ups in it and people are doing that and making videos of themselves singing oh yeah and and showing their video and those go viral i guess that's the best i got i don't know what no i like it like? I, I like it music really moves people Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm not here to cause no trouble. I'm just here to do the pandemic shuffle. Dun, yep. The, see, dun, look dun. at that. That's oh yeah. Great. The pandemic. Oh, yeah. Pandemic shuffle. We got <laughs> so, it. Wow! Wow. Um, so, so, Megan, how can people learn more about um, about you and anything you want to share? Of, well, of I don't think people or... need to learn more about me, but what, what I'd love all people to learn more about is the importance of strength training. Okay. And like I said, in the beginning of the show, Drew Bay uh, was an enormous influence on me. I think his, I'm sure his lectures on uh, high intensity training are still available on YouTube. I would learn as much about the importance of strength training. Cause we talk a lot about moving and walking but keeping your keeping your your muscles uh, challenged is isn't something that we we spend a line a lot of time talking about. So high intensity training, any safe weightlifting, that's that's what I like to promote. Okay. 
Awesome. Awesome. So, um, I, Megan, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. And and there's there was a lot of prep work that went into uh, putting this together. Um, I've benefited from, you know, from following you on LinkedIn and, and your posts. Um, and again, Drew Bay is a mutual friend of ours. Drew Bay, you know, from Wisconsin originally, right? So, um, I've, you know, I've get emails almost daily updates that, that Drew shares on high intensity training and Drew's had an impact on, on my own personal fitness. So I appreciate that. Uh, and again, Megan, thank you just again for making, you know, time for this. This was an awesome show. I'm going to go through and, and put together notes from this show, but, uh, what motivates people and also <laughs> i kind of you know i'm just i'm in gray now kind of a 1985 chicago Bears super bowl shuffle of how that would be because people did go for the um for the celebrities right the celebrities were coming on and saying we're all in this together and stuff like this but actually right had the celebrities or or you know jimmy kimmel and things like this like all come together and had some kind of uniform uh, across some music and some activity and stuff like that I think that's an awesome idea. Like I did. Yeah, I only we all. can go backwards in time and produce such a thing. Gosh, you and I'd be famous now. We would and be, then, and I'm a big shuffle. fan of uh, Back to the Future. So if that ever happens, when I whenever I sign a book, Megan, I always put the date and my location in it because I figure if somebody time travels, they can come back and meet me and say like, "Hey, Doc, <laughs> like if this." This happens to you in 1988. Like, go with it. Like, this is this is where to go. So, um, people are like, "Why did you do that?" I'm like, because of time travelers, right? Time travelers. We want to do this. So, so um, Megan, by the way, it is going to be 74 degrees here in Wisconsin tomorrow, which is probably our last 70 plus degree day for the year for October 11th. That's pretty rare. I will be out biking. And uh, I, I, I am just like just thrilled to to be able to do that this late in the season because it's pretty rare that that weather is accommodating. We're about three weeks away from snowfall here where I live. Actually, yeah. What do you what do you do? <laughs> what do you do in inclement weather? Do you have a stationary bike at home? I. Um, I don't bike and I did have a setup where I could put my bike and have resistance and all that, but I, I just found it to be too boring. So actually I do the old school stuff of putting uh, cleats on my hiking shoes and I will go out and I will either hike. We have some hiking trails by us. That's great. Uh, you cross train. Yeah. And I, and I, and I love, uh, I love doing that. I don't love winter. So that is, that is an absolute, like, I would much rather not deal with winter and cold weather, but because we do have that, um, and it, we have lakes by us, so it's kind of weird to hike past a lake and see all these ice shanties and little smoke coming out and people, like, ice fishing. I'm like, this just seems so weird. Like, I'm just not into this. But, um, but yeah, I, I do hike in, in winter. I have a, a huge, like, uh, navy pea coat uh, that, I, that I wear and stuff like that. But there, there is... There is a, a specific kind of, as I would say, kind of a solitude, um, a kind of uh, benefit in that. Things become very kind of crisp and serene in winter, at least in Wisconsin. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I find benefit in it. I'm not going to lie to you. I can't wait until April when things like thaw and I can be out biking again. Um, but, yeah, I, I just have a, a, a great time, uh, you know, kind of being outside doing that kind of stuff. So um, anything before we close here, Megan, what do you love about this book, Megan? You got it from, from the library and they're like, here, Megan, we have one of three copies. We're about to get 10 more copies in. It's I kind just, of, 
that Everything I think that us. was a, just a phenomenal response to the pandemic to to write a book like that to help people with this overwhelming uh, world event. Yeah, your and your your way of explaining things uh, is really powerful. I just I'm looking forward to reading. I'm still I haven't gone through the whole thing yet. Remind me of that photo. What? What this, was the on that this one? is the uh, this is a park just down the road from us, um, and it was all encased with uh, oh, yellow yeah. police tape. Yes, yeah. And I, I yeah, took my that's not, now you're reminding me my my that. daughter to it. Yeah. So and so, so I, I, I so I just loved how the 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 theme in this book seems to be trust your common sense. Yes. Which seems to be uh, a rare commodity these days. Common sense has become <laughs> become uncommon and i really you know this last two years we've been inundated with people's opinions about things right. and whereas your your book really challenged people to be objective and challenge yourself am i falling into the group think or am, am, am i really checking in and and doing these member check-ins and asking other people to keep me in check and i liked how in the beginning of the book that that you acknowledge the people who you checked in with. Is this valid? Is this was what I what I'm writing seem valid to you as opposed to just expounding your your own opinion? And we need I think we need a lot more of uh, what is what's a what's a word for that? Just just accountability of information. There's no there isn't a lot of cost for people to just throw out willy nilly opinions. Um, and my best friend and I were talking about uh, truthers and people who make all these outlandish predictions. And wouldn't it be wouldn't it be amazing if someone was keeping track of all right. these predictions and there was some actual skin in the game and money on the line for scaring people into this, that, and the other thing? It, so I think if 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 people had to police their public statements and really evaluate them and check them before just throwing them out on Twitter, we would have a safer, more prudent society. I like that. I, I have 471 citations in uh, in the last of information and they're all done as endnotes. So like if you're if you're reading the book, you're never going to notice and they're just like a one, two, 21, 22. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't interrupt your <laughs> right. reading flow, which I and, like. And and that to me was very important because if and honestly there's only been positive response to the book. People come back to it and and they will dig through the citations and and I said you know I it's been fascinating to me Megan because people um, forget much of I, I don't know if it's forget or they just block it out. But one of the early chapters is essential versus non-essential. And the book states that on March 20th, 2020, everybody was deemed essential or non-essential by their government. And people be like, oh yeah, I guess that did happen. And then like, right, your your gym's closed, right? You're forced to work at home or not, you know, be out as much as, as you were, what was social distancing and, and just the effects this had on people from, uh, uh, from a physical standpoint or a psychological standpoint. And, and I, I didn't expect that when I started to present with, with the book, right? I thought everybody, that would be a common point. That's why I moved it up to be like the 10th page in the book. And nobody denies it, but people are kind of shocked when I bring them back to that. 
And so the book has this phenomenal kind of truth aspect to it because it is so strongly cited and it has 12 interviews and, you know, I have timelines that were custom built for this, you know, by, and, you know, I, I believe now the book is, is gaining this momentum after the fact that people are coming back and saying, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. And, um, It'd be a great book for for a time capsule because you really captured this this the shock of uh, what we're going through and what what the challenge has been to how do we how do we move forward when when the game has just completely flipped upside down. Yeah, it, and and what I you know what I remind people is you know every decision you make going forward is is based upon essential or non-essential am i going to take that flight am i going to book a reservation six months out is my child going to or might go to a college where they're going to choose a profession that can go online right all of these decisions are am i going to live in seattle for example i interviewed um, um a realtor in seattle and she's in the book and she said you know People who lived in high rises said, I don't want to wait for the elevator, socially distance, like one at a time. Forget that. I'm not going to do that. So like all of these decisions will stay with this generation for 20 to 30 years. Yeah, that uh, word essential. That was not an essential word in no. our in our vernacular until March of 2020. What is that even? What is what is essential? I have no <laughs> idea. I've never thought, thought about this. I'm not essential. Wait, what do you? What does this mean? What is essential to me? So it is just forced us to evaluate our lives for better and for worse, but but better in 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 so many examples. So Megan, oh, we have you. so many people in the chat just saying, you know, thank you for being on and just how amazing uh, amazing you are, and I echo that. Uh, well, so. thanks because I told you. I said, oh, I've never done a podcast. <laughs> I don't think you want to have me on your show. No, no, you are you're phenomenal. So, um, so Megan, thank you so much for for being on the show. This this uh, show will be out in MP3 tomorrow on Podbean and Level Audio. The blog post will also be out tomorrow. Um, and yeah, please, uh, you know, please check that out. Please share this because you know this is this is very important not only for each of us but people that we know. Right, you know somebody who is uh, contemplating a fitness and a wellness decision in their life, help inform them, right? Or help them, help get them to the resources that can inform them. I think that that is so important. So yeah. And if any of your, any of your listeners, uh, either they themselves or some that they know is, is struggling to put together a plan. Uh, my website is meganusui.com and I do online coaching for people. So I could certainly get that conversation started. Okay, so Megan, I'm putting this here in the chat, M-A-G-A-N-U-S-U-I.com. Um, let me actually just quickly move it over to the pinned uh, tweet for this. So all this technology doc, yes, believe it or not. Um, so there we go, it is the, the pinned tweet. Um, David, Good. thank you so much for having me on. This is this is fun, and you make it easy to be a first time. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I love to I love to hear that. So, 
Uh, Megan, I am going to uh, take us take us out right here. So, and hopefully, you and I can touch base in just a just a moment. But everybody, the Safety Doc Podcast. Thank you. 190 episodes in video, in audio, in podcast post to the blog site, which is safetyphd.com. Thank you so much for making the dream come possible. I love doing this. I love all of you. Thank you so much for everybody. Benning Ballistics, uh, Aztec Twins, Elephant Armpit, Solitude Surfer, Ting, Ting. Thank you so much. Uh, we are out and I will see you on Monday, October 17th. Thank you so much. How were the beans and chili that you had for breakfast? They were delicious. Thank you for asking. But now I am very gassy. I'm sorry to hear that. Who let the frogs out? Pew, that stinks very bad. I have to open the window. Oh no. My cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine. Holy smokes, the engine just cut out. We should use the decide model to help us make the right decision. Mayday, mayday. I am declaring a beans and chili emergency. Please advise for landing.